Today is Saturday, March 27th, 2021, and this is episode 69 of A House Divided. My name is Nick Samarco. Nice. Yeah, nice. <laughs> hey, I'm Matt Lewis. Yeah. And we're joined today uh, by, that was not intentional, we're joined today by uh, Izzy Agricola. Izzy, welcome back. You're closely approaching um, Hall of Fame status in terms of times on the program. I know. I think I need some sort of plaque. I was well, told last, last time a, I was, it's on in the mail. Call, I was getting a plaque. So. It's, it's in the mail. It's, it's, it's well, still in the mail. I'm sorry. The certificate hasn't come yet. You know, there's okay. been a lot of delays with the U.S. Postal Service, but keep an eye out for that plaque coming soon. And if you keep it up, you'll get that gold jacket. Oh, gold jacket. especially me being on episode 69. I love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we, we actually recorded um, like a, an episode before this that we ended up scrapping and it, we we made it through the intro and then we're like, all right, this is ridiculous. Why are we not addressing the, the episode number? So we made it as awkward as possible for you. Um, Izzy, you and I have had many of these conversations in the past. That's why I invited you on. We're going to talk about gun control today, specifically in the wake of these two mass shootings that occurred in, in Georgia and um, Colorado, respectively. As you know, just to get get our listeners up to speed in Atlanta, a lone gunman went on basically a spree killing um, to uh, Asian owned day spas. Um, His motivations are not entirely clear. There's sort of two threads that are coming from the shooting. One is that he seemed to be um, sort of off his rocker, had a terrible relationship with pornography. Um, and thought that by taking out his revenge on Asian day parlors, day parlors that they were who were he believed were somewhat somehow tempting him into sexual impropriety, he could resolve that problem. So you have the the weird sort of um, sex problem there, and you also have some problems with uh, anti Asian American sentiment as well. Uh, and then in in Colorado, we really do not know the motivations of this guy. It's it it could be um, just simply a, a mentally ill individual um, walking into a, a supermarket in Colorado and, and killing 10 people. It was eight people killed in, in the spree killings in, in Atlanta. Izzy, I just want to, I, I, I kind of want to focus this, you know, like I said, we've had these conversations over and over again, and it seems like in these conversations, people who favor gun control on one side and people who are totally opposed to it just can't meet anywhere in the middle. So I want to know, you know, where do you think we can kind of steer the, the conversation constructively to? Um, and then we'll roll into some of your favorite policy positions. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important to be able to have constructive conversations about anything, but particularly around gun control. Um, I think there's kind of two sides of it because there's me who's pacifist, flower child. I think I've been referred to a lot on this podcast. Yeah, I, for, I forgot to introduce Izzy as a resident flower child. Thank, Thank you. you. Um that the, that part of me is like, no guns, let's get rid of them. Let's not do that. But I, there's the part of me that is also rational. It's realistic. And it says, I don't think that's possible in America. So I think in order to come to kind of a, a place of being constructive, a place of compromise, my side of the spectrum, who's very anti-gun, I will say, because I am very anti-gun, has to kind of make concessions. And I think that the other side of it also has to make concessions too, I think that it's, like I said, it's unrealistic to repeal the second amendment. I don't think that can happen. I understand it's your right to bear arms, but I think that if you are so really want a gun, my issue with it is why do you, if you really want a gun, why do you have an issue with background checks? Why do you have an issue with loopholes? Because if you're a 
you know, individual who's not going to have any red flags, who's going to pass that background check, then you shouldn't have any problems in getting a gun. And regardless of whether I think that anyone should own a gun, I don't think that it's unreasonable to ask people to take bigger measures towards getting the guns in the right hands. And I think that it's a compromise on both ends because there's people who are saying, no, let's get rid of all the guns. And I don't think that that's possible on the left side. And then there's people on the right who are saying, no, let's keep it exactly how it is. And I think that we have to come to a point, and this is just American politics in general and in a nutshell about being able to compromise. And I don't think we are able to compromise. And I think there has to be a point where we can meet in the middle and say, listen, we're not going to take away your guns. However, we would like to have stronger background checks. We would like to close these loopholes. And then there's on the other side saying, okay, I want to keep my gun. I'm okay with having stronger background checks. I'm okay with closing these loopholes. And then another part too, I think we go, cause you're kind of talking about American culture. Why are we having these right. conversations? And you use the word uh, mentally ill. And I agree those men were both mentally ill people, but I think there's a danger in suggesting that mental health is the only reason for these mass shootings because it's also mm. their ability to access guns. Yeah. And I think there is a big stigma around the fact, and I'm a big uh, true crime junkie. I love to listen. Same to here, same here. Yep, yep. And I think a big thing that one of my favorite podcasts talks about is just because something bad happened to you in your childhood, like let's look at the correlation between serial killers who were molested, abused, that doesn't mean that you're going to become a serial killer. There's plenty of people, majority of people who had awful childhoods, who are abused, had mental health issues that don't become serial killers. Yeah. And there's plenty of people who have mental health issues. I mean, I'm sure we all have mental health issues. I'm not speaking for you guys. I know I ha I've struggled with mental health. And so I think that just by saying gun violence is a mental health issue, it contributes to the stigma and that it's not going to help people at all because then they're not going to want to go get violence because they're going to be viewed as psychotic and deranged. And yeah. then I think I mean, I, that's a larger issue in general is just the way we speak about mental health in America as we speak about mental health around the globe. But that is one of my qualms with coming to the compromises. I don't like when people say it's just a mental health issue because I definitely think that contributes to the stigma around it. And I mean, even death by suicide with guns is higher than mass violence shoot. Uh, right, mass I mean, two thirds, two thirds of all. Yeah, you make, so- you make a very cogent point. Two thirds of all gun deaths are, are by suicide. And I think when we talk about mental health, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Sort of the, I think that there's a tendency on the um, conservative side of the aisle to say, oh, this is all about crazy people doing crazy, crazy things, which I think, you know, has some, has a little bit of truth to it. You, you're not a mentally stable person if you decide that the best way to take out your frustration is to murder people in a supermarket, for example. But you're absolutely right. There needs to be a nuanced conversation about the way we can make sure that people who are struggling with short-term mental health problems, such as you know uh, depression or anxiety, don't have easy access to these weapons that they could then, because of their um, you know, unstable state, which is really the, no fault of their own, uh, don't end up making a, a life-altering decision that could that could hurt themselves or their of or others. Izzy, I want to ask you this question. Same to you, Matt. It seems to me that the the problem in this entire discussion is that both sides view the other side as not acting in good faith. So, for example. Um, conservatives view any attempt, uh, uh, painting with broad strokes here, but I think it's fair. You can see this borne out in speeches at CPAC, for example. But conservatives believe that any attempt to 
place any restrictions on on firearms is just a prelude to to confiscation. And on the left, you have every um, you know by and large most Democratic politicians talk relentlessly about the National Rifle Association and how somehow that organization is corrupting um, gun owners into not supporting. Um, background checks and stuff like that. Matt, do you believe that I'm right in my diagnosis there? Do you believe that both sides um, don't believe the other's acting in bad faith and that's the way, that's why we can't move forward? Or do you think it's something else? And same question to you, Izzy. Yeah, I think that, you know, I remember when when the Parkland shootings happened and people were calling the NRA a terrorist organization. And you have to remember the NRA is so moderate and so uh and so like kind of wishy-washy on guns now that most gun owners hate the nra because they're not strong on guns uh you know they were for trump bump stock ban and these kind of things um and yeah no when you look at uh when you look at the nra like they're really not that great of an organization uh but they're definitely not terrorists they're definitely pretty moderate on guns um, sure. What do you make of but, the conservative side? But yeah, I was, I was yeah. about to get to that. So uh, the <laughs> yeah. conservative side of things, uh, you know, they do uh, portray uh, liberals as acting in bad faith. And sometimes I think they're correct. And other times they're not. I think it depends on who you're talking about, uh, because a lot of these steps are headed towards confiscation. I mean, Izzy, you said it yourself at the beginning of this podcast, like your and your your ideal is a repeal of the Second Amendment, which you know is impossible, but you know that's an ideal that you have, and like we are always working towards our ideals. So, uh, you know, down the road, yeah, I'm yeah, Izzy, Izzy, that's an interesting point. Um, I mean, hmm, you kind of let the quiet part out, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, how? I, I mean, you and I and, and others have always had these conversations uh, on the assumption that, you know, it's unrealistic to do certain things. But if you acknowledge that that's your ideal, I don't think you can sell a lot of your policy to anybody that doesn't have your you know, political persuasions because they're just not going to trust you. The slippery slope argument is very compelling for a lot of people. How do you transcend that? And would you be willing to say, look, I'm simply going to abandon that ideal if it means other things? I mean, I think that in a larger sense that we live our world in ideals, you know, of everything. And I think that, yes, I, and I've said, it's my ideal. I would love if the second amendment was repealed because I hate guns. Like, yeah. Okay. Like so that's... sorry, let me, let me interrupt you there. But if, it, if the second amendment, so you know, the, the, the conservative interpretation, I think the constitutional interpretation of the Second Amendment is that individuals have the right to defend themselves against other individuals in tyrannical government. Mm-hmm. If, if you were to say that, because I think everybody can, agree, can agree that in an ideal world, there would be no guns, right? In the same way that there, in, in an ideal world, there would be no nuclear weapons, okay? Mm-hmm. But maybe you should, maybe you could change the way you're framing that because to, to many people that seems like, oh my God, you want to take away my fundamental right to be able to defend myself. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I agree. And I think that it's difficult because I want to stick to, for lack of a better term, stick to my guns Um, (laughs) with my, with my ideals that this is not what I want. And, you know, I'm a pacifist. I like, and flower child. I like to live my world and ideals. Yeah, like, you, lean, you lean into it. I love it. I know. I, you got to lean into it. Um, yeah. But I, I agree. It's a, it's a slippery slope because I, and I think that's why I have to open up like a conversation I have with someone by saying, listen, yes, in an ideal world, there's no guns, but 
realistically I'm willing to compromise. And I don't think that my, I, I guess I, I totally agree with what you're saying. It's a, it's a very slippery slope for me to be saying, oh, I don't want any guns anytime, but then be like, but here let's compromise because then it seems like I'm just compromising so that I finally get my way Precisely. in the end game. Yeah. And I agree with that, with that assessment because I, I don't necessarily think that's what I truly believe. I don't think that by me compromising now, later on down the road, I mean, it kind of depends because if I compromise now and it totally works, there's no more mass shootings, there's a lot less in gun violence, then I don't really need to continue to try to get the end game that there's no guns. But if we compromise now and there still ends up being an, the same amount of mass shooting deaths, the same amount of deaths by suicide, then I'm going to, you know, we have to say, well, let's do something different. Let's figure out something different. So I, I totally agree with what you're saying here. I think it is uh, not dangerous, but perhaps misleading sometimes when I say, oh, I would love to repeal the Second Amendment, but I know that's not realistic. However, kind of going back to what Matt was talking about and it's the compromise and what you were talking about too, where it's kind of on both sides, there's something that's, there's like that bad faith thing where each side thinks they're acting in bad faith. And I, right. and I agree because on one side it's, oh, they want to repeal the second amendment eventually. And then on the other side, it's, oh, they want everybody to have guns. Everybody wants right. Or the only reason why they support these things is because they're getting paid for it. Mm, yeah, exactly. So I think that that's part of a, a larger debate in U.S. politics. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I would love to assess the whole U.S. political system. Here's, here's why I'm willing to compromise with you, okay? Because you will never win. Your your end goal of trying to repeal the Second Amendment is is in is is far too idealistic. You will never, for example, be able to convince Texans to cede their firearms to federal authorities. And I think that that's a good thing, but here's, that's why I'm willing to compromise with you because public opinion is on our so, side. Quick little fun fact. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine from Mississippi was just telling me about how he lives in a sanctuary County for federal firearms legislation and their deputies. He said their deputies have the right to shoot ATF agents. Oh my they God. try to take guns. <laughs> oh, you gotta love the South. So you okay. can't, you're not going to take their guns. Yeah. <laughs> We, we, we are, we are a pro ATF uh, podcast on this. We, we do not say shooting ATF agents is a good thing just before people try and come for us on that. Um, Izzy, we've talked about compromise. We've skirted around these questions. Now, president Joe Biden has called for certain policies, namely reenacting the federal assault weapons ban. Um, and of course that nebulous term, but of course it's there to uh, have universal background checks. So in your opinion, what are some of the steps, steps we can take um, to re reduce uh, these types of mass shootings and um, reduce gun crime in general? And let's have a little discussion on those. Well, I think in terms of reducing mass shootings, the, the assault rifle ban, that makes sense to me because I don't see, and this might just be, be me being naive, I don't see why anyone needs an assault rifle. I don't see why you need something like an automatic, I mean, I don't know a lot about it, I know a lot about guns in the sense that I'm like doing my statistics, but like, if you yeah. asked me to like name a gun, I'd be like, I don't know. Like, yeah. So the, the, handgun. the <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing is that, um, you know, I, I, it's not a mark against you. Cause I, I, I think that the term assault weapon is really, really, really misconstrued by a lot of people. So there, there is really no legal classification, like manufacturer classification for what constitutes an assault rifle. When people are talking about semi-automatic rifles, what they mean is a rifle or what, what they're talking about is a rifle. When you pull the trigger once, one bullet comes out. Um, 
an assault weapon really is not a thing per se. It's a, it's a, it's sort of a societal concoction of, of, you know, the big black scary rifle. I think it came from video games originally. Oh, really? I don't know, but it might be, I, I, I might be wrong. Okay. So yeah, I mean, when we're talking about assault rifles, we're talking about, you know, things like AR-15s, M4s, stuff like that. But when we're talking about semi-automatic rifles, which are the assault rifles, their rifles, when you pull the trigger once, one bullet comes out. It's extremely difficult to get a machine gun in the United States. So they're very, they're extremely common. I mean, they're one of their, they're one of the most common types of weapons in the United States, period. I, I fact-checked myself and, and I was wrong. Really? <laughs> it didn't come from video games. It came from uh, the first assault rifle was was from World War II. Uh, the Germans invented it. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. But it just, the... Yeah, I, I don't want to get into gun okay yeah anyways anyways izzy let's talk about the assault weapons ban just wanted to clarify for our listeners you know what most people are talking about when we talk about assault rifles my stance on that portion of it is why does anyone and this is kind of reflecting a question back to you guys not to dodge the question but in your guys' opinion i kind of love to know so i can why does anyone need that type of gun yeah i I love when questions when questions come from guests so it's always the most fun um i can tell you i mean when we're talking, well, what do you mean by what do I need? What do I need it for? Because when we're talking about these rifles, we're not talking about anything that is totally distinct in the history of firearms. We're talking about a rifle that has the same firing mechanism of most rifles that have existed for the past 200 years. Um, you know, I, we, we, I, I also don't think that that's the threshold by which we invoke legislation, um, you know, just because we don't need something like I don't need seven shotguns doesn't mean I shouldn't be allowed to have it. Um, and there have been cases, I, I think you're asking this question. There have been cases in which people have used um, AR-15s and other semi-automatic rifles to defend themselves um, in situations. They're an extremely common hunting rifle um, as well. Uh, they're used for small game mostly, but the, uh, the, I, I think it's, I think it's very clear. People have been, using them to defend themselves, um, usually in big sort of homestead type houses. Uh, there was an example of a, of a man, um, for example, who saw two armed robbers approaching his property. And, and in some states, you have the ability to shoot people before they enter your house. And he shot them. They were clearly coming to harm him and his family. And he shot them from about 50 feet out with his rifle. Couldn't have done that really easily with a pistol. Um, so yeah, I think that's why some people need them, but I also don't think that that's the metric when we're talking about legislation. No, I, I I agree. It was more of a, a personal question there because you know I'm I surround myself with all different types of thinkers, but oftentimes yeah. I'm, I am with a more liberal audience. Oh, well, we live in Massachusetts so. by nature of where we live, um, and so I I just kind of wanted to to ask that because I think that's an important thing to say, understand hey, this is why I want that type of gun. I mean, take the hunting out of the equation because I'm extremely anti-hunting. I could have hours long conversations about oh, that. Oh boy, okay. You know me, my little vegetarian heart. Um, oh, you're vegetarian now, okay. Yeah. I've been vegetarian for four years, Nick. Oh, well, that, that's, that's outside <laughs> of high school, Izzy. I haven't talked to you about, you know, that no, type of stuff in a long four time. Four years ago, it was junior year of high school. Was it really? Holy crap, yeah, you know why? Because I'm graduating this year. I got tricked up in my own mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we'll have a we'll have a math discussion later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Izzy. Yeah. Um, but I I think that I'm uh, as far as the assault rifle ban goes. I mean, 
the only reason that I'm kind of pro that I would kind of vote that into legislation is because I think that gets that gets guns out of people's hands that are maybe perhaps more dangerous. However, my big stance on like the legislation that's being passed right now or that is um, proposed to be passed is more so the universal background checks, which I know you said nebulous term. It's kind of what does that mean? But yeah, right, uh, right. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I would support in theory. I mean, that's something I can support, of course, but it just uh, it depends on what it means. Right. Uh, I'll get into it. Um, awesome. <laughs> the universal background checks and closing the loopholes on private gun sales. Um, that's a really big one for mm. me because I don't think this is just me being like kind of why, but like going to a private gun show and being able to get a gun so easily without closing all those loopholes of background checks of instant uh, verification, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And mm -hmm. it, I think yes i get it that's from people's livelihoods they like to you know make those sales at gun shows and such but i think that that's a dangerous way of getting guns into people's hands regardless if we're talking mass shootings or we're talking suicides or talking single shootings i think that the private gun shows the <clears throat> excuse me uh ability to make those private gun sales that aren't uh, as authenticated aren't as verified as buying them through um a federally licensed firearm dealer yeah I think that that's a big thing for me. And then as far as the universal background checks go, I mean, I would adopt a model like Japan where they have a 13 step authentication system because wow. I, think, okay. I think if you really want a gun, you would be willing to do that. That's my issue with it is if you really wanted to get a gun, why aren't you willing to wait two weeks, a month to get that gun? And I understand sure maybe you're like i need to be defended right now i need to be able to have this gun in my home right now but at the same time taking a firearm class going through mental health screenings going through screenings by the police going through getting that license and being able to kind of have a more to get a driver's license you have to take like what three months of classes i don't know they don't so I, I, I just want to drill down on this because it seems like you're kind of going on two different tracks and I want to make sure our listeners get the you know clear, clear scope of um, sort of the policies that you favor. When we're talking about waiting periods, just to be clear, would you support a longer licensure sort of process and a waiting period when you get that license to buy a gun or just a, just a longer licensure sort of process? Because um, it seems a little confusing. Yeah, I, I, sorry, you know me, I like to go on my little tangent. No, 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 um, not a problem at all. You should hear me sometimes. <laughs> I think that in the the way that Japan does it, I, I really like, and I understand, I think whenever you're comparing, it's hard to compare to two different countries that have two different, completely different laws, everything. But I like the way that Japan does it because, you, you know, you have to take a firearm class, you have to take an exam, you have to go through a mental health screening, you have to uh, sometimes talk to the police, go through that sort of screening. And I think that, yeah, that's the waiting period versus the licensure period. I think with the longer licensure period, the waiting period's kind of null and void because if you're having a longer period to get your license and to be able to be fit enough to have that firearm, the waiting period doesn't really make sense. Like say it's gonna take, we'll just throw out a number out there. Take from the day that you apply to get your license to own a gun or the day that you wanna buy a gun, it's a two week period where you have to take a class where you have to take an exam, where you have to go through a mental health screening, where you have to go through a screening with the police. 
all those different steps together, I mean, that kind of forms into your waiting period right there as well, because that's going to give time to do other background checks that you want to do that the government's not doing necessarily with you. If that makes sense, it might not. Matt? Yeah. Um, well, that sounds like way too much that I would be willing to support at all. Um, I mean, personally, I, I, I feel like I'm walking in the opposite direction as you completely, because I'm a big proponent of constitutional carry. I think that there shouldn't be a license. There should be background checks, uh, though. I think that, you know, even at, uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, I'm pretty sure the, the gun show loophole doesn't even exist in the sense well, that there's, there's, there are still background checks. So it, it depends. So I actually had an infamous argument back in high school with somebody about this. Um, Izzy may or may not have been it's there. It's infamous. Yeah, it involved a teacher too. But there is there is no specific gun show loophole. What we're really talking about in terms of gun shows is private sales. Private sales. So a lot of people at gun shows are actually federally licensed dealers, and they are required by law to take part in a, 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 a Nick's background check. But if you're a private seller, so it's like if, if you sold a gun to me, if we were both. Correct. To, correct. So okay. there's no specific gun show loophole. It's a private sale loophole. And yeah. it's there's the Charleston loophole, which gives, it restricts the FBI to having three days to do a background check period. Right. Because the, because the, under the current law, and I agree with this, that the FBI background check cannot pose an undue burden on the purchaser. So for example, the, the reason why I think Matt and I sort of oppose some of these more strenuous efforts to in, in the licensure process, by the way, Matt, I disagree with you slightly. I think you should prove that you can actually use a weapon um, yeah, proficiently before you're, you're um, you know, able to, able to buy it. Call me a squish, but I believe it. I think that it was very clear in Heller versus DC that that stuff was legal too. But no, that's legal. I just don't think it should be policy. Okay, so I I disagree with you there. I think you shouldn't be holding the gun upside down before you're allowed to use it. But anyways, (laughs) the uh, the the reason why I think we're sort of against some of these more strenuous licensure periods is because they can be arbitrary. So, for example, in Massachusetts, your decision as whether or not to be issued a license to carry in most towns comes down to a yes, no decision by your police chief. And to Matt and I, that seems like a gross government overreach to empower one individual to say yes or no for your ability to carry a firearm in, 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 in the town. Right. Um, you, better, you better not be on the bad side of any local politicians if you want to get a gun license. Uh, you know, that's something that's a real concern for a lot of people. You know, oh, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that. I didn't even know that was a thing in Massachusetts, honestly. I don't yeah. like that it's coming down to, to one person. What if... Like, you know, there, there's so many silly little things that could happen. Like, what if your daughter broke up with the police chief's son? Like, then they're going to be like, no, they shouldn't have a gun. And, and, and trust me, it, it happens. I mean, I, right. I think yeah. and vice versa. If you are buddy-buddy with the police chief and he doesn't like giving out gun licenses, but, oh, you know, you're friends with him and you might not be qualified, you're going to get one. Yeah, and I don't think that's... And I, I think that that's kind of ridiculous in a sense, whereas it should be, you know, equal across the board where it's. Right. Imagine, imagine a situation where you're a, you're a sheriff in a a racist town who gets to decide who carries a firearm and you say, Nope, not giving it to black people. And there's, they, they really do not have to justify exactly why you're not getting your, your, your license that way. You could, you could sue them and try to have them explain it, but there's always an easy out for them to say, Oh, they, I just didn't think that they were prepared. Or well, Massachusetts is in our laws is a may issue state. So there's a difference between may issue and shall issue. Uh, and because it's may issue, they don't have to provide reasoning for giving a license or not. 
Izzy, maybe we can find a compromise here. Let's see if we can get it, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think you're going to agree with Matt that there should be no strings attached to getting a license to carry, right? Um, I think that licenses to carry firearms in a given community are constitutional. Um, and Well, they are. Yeah, I think it should be left up to localities to decide what they are, um, are going to be with, with, with some caveats here. So I think the basic license to carry process should be this. And I don't support waiting periods for firearm purchases at all. I think that the real compelling interest that, you know, a woman feels like she's being stalked and she needs to defend herself against her stalker is something that really plays to me to say, who are you to tell that person you need to wait a week? Like if they pass a background check, they have a license. Who are you to say you need to wait because we're fearing that you're going to use that gun to, you know, uh, shoot up a school in a manic episode for example. But the, uh, for me, I think the process should be as following. You pass a basic criminal background check. You are, you pass a background check that shows you don't have any, you know, health red flags, such as being a person who is actually supposed to be in an institution, for example, that is broken out, right? Uh, the problem with determining that type of stuff is that you can't really determine person's behavior from unless they show up in a situation like that, such as they've been committed to a, a mental institution in the past year or something like that. Um, or because you, uh, uh, the only way to do that would be to have them sit down with a, a mental health specialist and determine whether or not that they were, you know, within their faculties, but a basic mental health check, full criminal background check, make sure we don't want felons having handguns, for example. After that though, I think you should be able to purchase a firearm, whether it be a handgun or a rifle or a shotgun. Oh, uh, by the way, I forgot prove that you're proficient in using that firearm. You're not going to hold it upside down. You know how to store it properly. How do you, how do you check that someone's proficient? You, I think you should be required to take a, a firearms class and pass it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, but after that, I think you should be willing. I think, I think you should be able to purchase whatever firearm, you know, you really want. Is there any hangups in there for you or? No, I don't. I don't. And I agree. I, I like the idea of taking the class, but here's my, my little caveat with your argument. You don't like the sure. waiting period, say however long the waiting period is. Isn't there technically going to be a waiting period with all of those steps, being able to take a firearms class? If I'm arriving on scene and I'm like, Hey, I want a gun. They're not going to be like, okay, mentally health. Oh, okay. Take the class right now. So that, that turns into a little bit of a waiting period. Does it not? Well, yeah. I mean, the, see the, the problem is, is how long of a waiting period, right? So mm-hmm. I think you should, I, 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 I agree with the idea of licensure for firearms. I think that that's a, a perfectly reasonable step for people to take, but I'm not willing to tack on another two weeks once you get that license. So of course, that is, a, that is an argument that Matt would probably make to me to say, hey, look, you're, you're making a counterintuitive argument. You're, you're putting some restrictions on people's ability to easily access firearms. And I'm willing to say, okay. Um, but I'm not willing to say after that process, that there should be an additional waiting period for fear that you're going to use it wrongly um, in a situation, right? No, and I, I definitely agree with that. That's why I, when kind of going back to when I was talking about Japan, where if you're having to take these steps, there's kind of not necessarily a point of a waiting period. Um, right. So I, I agree with you here. I think that, you know, maybe there's some caveats of like little details that, you know, I'd be like, well, in the firearms class, I want them to do this, this, and this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that plan is like what we can compromise on right now. Like that is realistic. That makes sense to me. That is something, if I'm a Senator, I'm willing to compromise on that plan. See, the problem is, is that that those systems are not universal in the United States. Um, 
it, that, that's that's something that would play well in Massachusetts. Well, I actually don't think it would play well in Massachusetts because we're perhaps the most anti-gun state in the union. Except but, maybe uh, California. Except maybe California. But that's the, the problem is, is that our favorite solutions are not going to fly in, in places like Texas or Mississippi uh, or, or, or Alabama, because they really do not have, um, or even Vermont is. No, Vermont, it wouldn't. Ver, ver, Why do you ver, think Bernie Sanders doesn't talk about guns on the right, campaign ver, trail? Vermont, Vermont does, is constitutional carry state. Right. Vermont does not have a, does it have a license to carry even Matt? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, it may. Have I'll, I'll fact check you. Yeah, please. Um, but you don't have to do any of this stuff other than, you know, the, the mandatory federal background checks at a federal dealer um, to purchase a rifle, um, you know, for example, and I, Matt's going to fact check us on that. On the hand they don't stuff. issue permits. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I think New Hampshire does though. Um, so that, that's, that may be an interesting little distinction. Maybe some of the Massachusetts floated up to the white mountains there uh, in that regard. So uh, the problem is, is that that's not realistic. Um and it, it like they're, they're just not going to accept that type of federal intervention. Um, it, it's 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 really tough. But I guess I guess the the final question that we kind of have in this conversation. It seems to me that I don't think a federal assault weapons ban actually reduces the chances of mass shootings. Um, for example, when we look at studies that have studied this very topic, whether or not the federal assault weapons ban reduced mass shootings. The results are mixed at best, if not no. I can send you a chart that actually shows mass shootings um, over time. And when we look at the period of the assault weapons ban and then after, before the assault weapons ban, during the assault weapons ban, they're virtually indistinguishable in terms of mass shootings. It's also important, important to remember that the overwhelming majority of mass shootings are used are, are committed with handguns. Um, your situation where your, your Colorado's, your Aurora movie theaters are exceedingly rare. Mass shootings, which are defined by the FBI as FBI is three or more people injured by firearms, right, Matt? Yeah, um, I think it's four. I, okay, maybe four. Really, are gang related in most cases. They occur in major urban areas where um, there are gang shootings, you know, drive-bys, stuff like that. Um, major gun battles in the streets. Um, but the problem to me is that I don't think that any of these policies would actually have a gigantic impact on on stopping mass shootings. The person in Colorado purchased his firearm legally, would have passed any background check, would have passed any mental health evaluation. Um, for example, unfortunately, um, unless he had been forced to sit down with a psychiatrist and talk to him, which is not something that I would have supported. The person in Atlanta purchased his firearms legally, from my understanding. Um, most of these policies just simply one stop the types of mass shootings that we would have seen and that we've seen, in my opinion, do you disagree with that? Um, and if so, um, you know, kind of which policies would you like to have seen in this situation? People talk about magazine restrictions all the time, but for example. <laughs> that, that's the thing too. And I think that's why, I, you know, there's the idealist in me that we talked about earlier, where I think appeal the, repeal the second amendment because there was no, in the 19, what was it? 1994 assault weapons ban? I think it was 94, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt can fact check me on that. He seems like the fact checker here. <laughs> um, uh, that did the data for that from that did not really prove that it did that much to stop those mass shootings. And like you said, you know, we've been debating, you know, the the assault we weapons ban, the background checks, like having more classes to take a license. 
But at the same time, there's many people in many of those mass shooting instances, like you were saying, that would have passed all those steps. So I think it, we're kind of at an impasse here where in my head sometimes the only solution is we have to get rid of all the guns. So that's kind of why I stick with that, that idea because is this going to work? What is your guys' opinion on how to stop these mass shootings? I, unfortunately, this is not a satisfactory answer for anybody. And I want to know if Matt agrees with this too. I really don't think you can. I, I think that that's a really terrible reality that we're going to have to deal with. Um, the ubiquity of firearms in this country is unparalleled. There are more firearms in this country than people by far. Um, there are millions. If you, like People talk about high capacity magazines and stuff like that all the time. Just practically, you could take two magazines of half the... Uh, uh, the, the, the volume of a 30 round magazine, tape them top to bottom. And the only difference between a 30 round magazine and a two 15 round magazines will be two tenths of a second in which you drop the magazine, flip it around. And on top of that, they're so ubiquitous and floating around in the, in the sphere of, of the United States that you couldn't get rid of them. Um, like at all functionally, you could maybe make them $2 more expensive on a black market, but they're, they're so cheap anyways. But I really don't know if there's anything we can do on a policy level to stop these mass shootings other than perhaps implementing some type of red flag law wherein people are able, and I don't think that this would eliminate mass shootings at all. And the type of mass shootings we're talking about where gunman goes into X place and kills people for the sake of killing them. Um, red flag laws whereby a person can report uh, a brother, a sister, a father, um, a daughter, uh, Who's, who may be exhibiting some signs that they're about to harm themselves or other people and therefore have their firearms taken away with, with extreme due process that may eliminate some shootings, but not all of them. And um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I don't, I don't think there's a lot we can do, Matt. Yeah. I don't really think that there is much that we can do. Uh, even, even under the assault weapons ban uh, between 19 uh, if you look at the years between 1982 and 2012, um, you know, the assault weapons ban happened in 1994. Um, and basically I'm looking at like a chart that shows the uh, mass deaths and ma of, from mass shootings uh, in those years. So it shows you before the ban, during the ban and after the ban uh, up to 2012. And the third highest year for mass shootings deaths was during the assault weapons ban. Mm. So, and, and, and you can look and there's not really a, uh, a huge correlation between the ban and, and the decrease in, in mass shootings deaths. Um, you know, and it's, it's concerning because a lot of these policies I don't think are going to have the intended effect and an assault weapons ban is so, uh, is so, vague in what it would actually do because you have guns like an AR-15 which basically shoots a pistol round with more powder behind it and you know yeah the, by the way the, the 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 rifle used in the Colorado shooting was actually a pistol variant it was a Ruger um pistol that was designed to function as a rifle for example yeah yeah, yeah. and and the the you know, the bullet that's used for an AR-15, the, the 223 uh, or 556, um, you know, same bullet, but is, is a smaller round and you have hunting rifles, you know, 308 comes to mind. 
Uh, you can get an M1 Grand uh, from World War II that shoots 30 out six. And these are huge bullets, but they're less scary looking guns most of the time. And people aren't talking about banning, uh, you know, these ammunition types. Uh, it's, it's more about how the gun looks. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ignorance, you know, and I'm not pinning any of this on you, Izzy, uh, but like on from the left, when it comes to criticizing guns or saying, oh, we need to make gun restrictions. It's like, well, maybe you should learn how guns work first and like what like guns uh, do. I mean, you should be a gun nerd if you want to talk about gun policy. Uh, and I don't mean that as like it, conservatives should be environmental nerds if they want to talk about environmental policy. Um you know, it's, it's sad that they don't know anything and then they go, oh, well, you know, it's ridiculous that wind, you know, wind and solar is a little ridiculous, you know, but maybe we should do nuclear and fracking, but like they don't talk about that. Right. And it things. doesn't, in it, an educated no fashion. Such, right. Then there's no such thing as wind cancer, for example. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. You know, or the, you like, know about that, Izzy? Donald wind Trump said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Donald Trump said unironically. Wind turbines cause cancer. Yeah. Oh, I must yeah. have missed that one. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. yeah that's, one, that's one of the lists of his, you know, genius sayings um but yeah so i mean i i just think that if you for people like there's so many clips uh like like there's a clip a famous one of a, a california politician saying kevin oh, 30 yeah kevin de leon and he goes oh you know a 30 round magazine clip that fires in half a second and it's like that's not even close to real that he's not using the correct terms like then these things are important because a clip and a magazine are different things like uh maybe maybe all right <clears throat> Sorry, Izzy, I said last question, but I have one more for, oh, for us all. Um, it seems to me that the phenomenon of mass shootings is a deep-seated cultural problem in American culture. Um, this didn't exist uh, for the entire history of the United States. Um, it, is, it is only you know, really in the past century that we've seen this phenomenon occur. Uh, the, the deranged individual taking out his or her um, frustrations on, on innocent bystanders, you know, I think of really the first instance of this being the, uh, the Texas clock tower shooting. Um, this, this seems to me not to be a gun problem, but it, it seems to me to be a gigantic problem um, with deep-seated cultural issues that I am not necessarily sure how we solve those. I think more funding into mental health resources is a start, but throwing money at a problem, especially a such a difficult problem is mental health has not shown to be that effective. When we talk about sort of solving that gigantic cultural issue that I'm not really sure about, do you have any idea? I mean, I, <laughs> I, thankfully I haven't had a ton of experiences with these types of um, you know, situations myself and haven't been exposed to this. So I'm quite naive and, and uninformed in this scenario, but I mean, it's it, it's a gigantic problem that we're going to have to solve some way, maybe through policy, maybe through non-policy routes. I mean, what is your feelings on these things? Yeah, I mean, I think as a lot of you know political issues go back to the the cultural differences in the United States, and what I love if we could all hold hands and sing kumbaya and it's all good. Yeah, um, but it, it's it's a tough reality. And I feel like even having this conversation, you know, it, it, coming to realizations like that those policies, maybe that I thought, hey, this might work, aren't necessarily gonna work. So I think 
I mean, I would love if I could come up with a solution about how we solve these cultural differences and how we're able to, you know, love thy neighbor. Um, and Matt is going to eat up that you just used that term. <laughs> I'm a reformed you. Catholic. I am a reformed Catholic. So I, I know all the... um, but I, I think that, I mean, if I had a solution, I don't think I would be in the position I am right now in a dorm room. I yeah. think I'm in the White House. Um, Fair enough. I think that's the same for us. We wouldn't be sitting at our respective houses and apartments right now yelling about it on a podcast. I agree. That's a good point. Um, so I, it's it's difficult because I wish, you know, at the end of all these these podcast sessions we have, we could say, oh, here's the solution. Let's, you know, Joe Biden at whitehouse.gov. Let's send him an email right now. Right. No, but I think that it's so difficult to be able to come up with a solution. But on the other hand, it's so difficult to have these mass shootings yep. and look at them and be, and at least I feel that oftentimes I'm desensitized to them because I, you know, I hear the mass shooting happen. I'm already, you know, reeling from the one in Atlanta, what happens in Colorado. Yes. I feel awful about it. Yes. I'm, you know, posting about it, using my voice, having conversations like this about them. But at the same time, you know, I'm desensitized to it and not sitting in my room all day thinking about it because it happens so often. Right. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation the way that we did, because it really is a cycle when we talk about these mass shootings. This shooting happens. People automatically try and retreat to their own political spheres and say, oh, this person did it because he was a racist. Actually, no, it was because he was a deranged liberal or something like that who hated who was a, a communist that hated Republicans. And we all retreat into our spheres. We've come up with our favorite policy solutions. We butt heads for about two days and then nobody talks about it anymore about what I view as the real problem, which is this phenomenon of people deciding to take out their suicidal or homicidal ideations on innocent people in in in, in society you i think you hit the nail on the head there is he i mean it's it's so frustrating more than anything else yeah and i think that's a around a lot of these discussions it's always just frustration in the end because you know we're not coming up with solutions i think so, that it's tough to come up with solutions because i don't think there is anything that joe biden or Donald Trump or George Bush or anyone else in the White House could come up with uh, to fix this. I don't think that this actually, I don't think that this can be solved on a federal level. Um, because like Nick was saying, like, I totally agree. This is a human problem. This is a, a cultural problem. It, you know, it's mental health, it's culture. It's a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, we, we live in a culture where uh, it's it's okay to like like people constantly make jokes about dying like I don't, I don't know like that's that's something that is like I don't know if you I'm sure you guys hear it a lot I mean we're, we're Gen Z uh, and like a lot of the jokes that we see like oh well, if only I could be like taken off this earth or like something like that uh, you know that is endemic of our culture and yes obviously I know that not everyone who makes a joke like that is actually wishing death upon themselves but like that's not something that people joked about, uh, you know, hundred years ago and that I'm aware of anyway. Um, and well, the even more disturbing thing is that the, it seems like as time goes on, the, the, the pathology for people to do these types of things becomes more clear. So there's more people uh, deciding 
that the way to deal with their frustrations is through max mass act of violence in our current society than there would be in the past. An unfortunate reality is that the people who are committing these mass shootings now, this may sound crass, but it's reality, would have killed themselves in the past. And there is something very weird and disturbing and unique about this phenomenon that we're that we're talking about now. Um, it, it is very unique to to modern culture as well. I mean, you, you're right there, Matt. In my opinion, maybe not about the joke part. Well, uh, I'm <laughs> trying to say that like that indicates like more of a culture of death, like that we're living in. Like death is. Well, I don't. I don't know if it's a culture of death, Matt. It is. But no, I will. You know, not to get too into the, to the being able to joke about it, but being in a generation that grew up, you know, Sandy Hook, having those yeah. things, it, that's a coping mechanism, at least for me, you know, of right. being like that. So I think that, yeah, you know, maybe where we are more cavalier about death and, you know, being like, oh, I wish a bus would hit me, like on my way to the exam. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've been like, oh, I just wish this bus would hit me right now so I don't have to take this test. Like, you know, not being serious, but making right. a joke. But I think that that ideation comes from, you know, being exposed to such high violence at a young age. And the weird thing is that violence has never been less prevalent in American society. Overall crime has never been lower. Violent crime has never been lower in American society. Yet this weird phenomenon is occurring where we are so exposed to it because the situations are so graphic and so heart-wrenching. Like a school shooting is perhaps the worst thing you can possibly think of. Going into a, a, a school full of innocent school children and killing them for, for no other reason than that. And we're exposed to that in blinded in many ways to the overall cultural phenomenon that we're experiencing of lower crime, lower violent crime. We are the most peaceful that we have ever been in Western society, in our, in our own countries and abroad. But the, the, there's an overall decline in violent crime, but we seem more you know, exposed to these types of things. You're, you're right about that in, in, in many ways. All right, any last thoughts here, guys? Izzy, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I just want to say I'm very glad, like I said earlier, that the, this conversation did not and I, I didn't expect it because you're the person that you are and I'm the person that I am. It did not go how the normal conversations go. Um, and I'm glad that it went like that. I think that these types of conversations are the people that need to be, are, are the types of conversations that people need to be having now. Um, I fear that this unfortunately is just going to be pushed aside um, again because there's no political will to do it. Uh, Matt, any last thoughts here? And then Izzy, you get the last word. Um yeah, I just think it is a culture problem. And I agree with what Izzy said, love thy neighbor. Uh, and and I'll add one more thing, go to church. <laughs> <laughs> Izzy? I cannot agree with the second one. Um, unless you want to, you have free will to go to church if you would like to, of course. Um, but I think it, it it's difficult and it's, it's a frustrating conversation to have. And we, you know, yes, we, we got somewhere where we can agree this is a cultural phenomenon. This is, you know, something that we've never seen before, but we don't have the solutions right now. And right. I, I think that that's a frustrating thing to have happen. And it's disheartening a little bit to be yeah. you know, sitting here and saying, is there a way we can stop this from happening? So I think that today's conversation was very productive. I, I would like to, you know, constructive. Yep. Um, but I think at the end of all these conversations that I ever have about gun control, it comes down to, you know, we lost so many lives and that's yeah. awful. And I think that, you know, 
when we're having these conversations, you know, we need to, you know, remember the victims, remember that they had families, they had their own stories, they had, you know, lives that they were supposed to live. And so that's kind of how I want to end this conversation today is just, you know, whoever's listening, you know, take a minute, think about them, think about, you know, the lives that were cut short because of this awful phenomenon we have going on in our country. Couldn't have said it better myself. Izzy Agricola, thanks for coming on as always. Uh, check the mail for your plaque um, and come back next time during that gold jacket. Thank you, Nick, and, and Matt as well. <laughs> Talk to you later. Our thanks once again to Izzy for coming on for that important, lively, and always entertaining discussion. Always an entertaining discussion with her, Matt. Uh, Matt, what you looking at this week? Yeah, this week, uh, and I guess most of the weeks this year so far, I have been listening to uh, the Bible in a Year podcast with Father Mike Schmitz. It's very good. We're doing a a reading every day, uh, and by the end of the year, we will go through the entire Bible. So it's it it is a actual pathway to actually reading the entire book. The in whole a year. cover to cover, oh, Genesis to Revelation. So <laughs> it's uh. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. Um, he we basically do like uh, two to three chapters of scripture a day, and then uh, a psalm or a proverb. Uh, oh, so it jumps so, ar- it jumps around. Okay. Yeah, it jumps. Well, it it stays kind of within the <coughs> timeline. So like, we were reading Genesis and uh, Job at the same time, and then we were reading uh, Exodus and Leviticus at the same time. And now uh, we just wrapped up reading um, numbers in Deuteronomy at the same time. So, okay. So it jumps, yeah. it jumps around, but it keeps the same thing. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, uh, I have to recommend a documentary on HBO. This is a little out of my comfort zone, Matt, but um, okay. it was Elvis Presley, the searcher. It's a two part documentary on HBO and it uh, it reveals, it sort of discusses the first chapter. The first episode is all about Elvis came to be um, and how he really took the, the black blues soul and mixed it with the sort of um, country bluegrass that he grew up with in Tennessee mm-hmm. and how that unique combination is what really catapulted him onto the international stage. It was really, um, you know, taking black music and making it mainstream for, for white audiences and consumable for white audiences. And Elvis was very open about this. I mean, some of his early covers are of Tutti Frutti and other, other songs like that by, by famous black artists. So I, I thought it was really, really enthralling. You get to see Elvis as the person instead of this mythical figure that we've all come to know him as. And um, yeah, if you're interested in just any broad history of music, uh, you have to take an exploration into the figure of Elvis Presley, who was at one point bigger than any artist in the history of, of music, um, especially in the United States, captivated the minds and hearts of, of many a young American teenager. You've, you've really been on an HBO kick. I, 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 I gotta say they produce extremely high quality content. HBO max. It's great. It's a great streaming, best service. streaming service, best streaming. And service. next month, uh, mortal Kombat releasing in theaters and on HBO max. Yeah, time. not really interested in that one, but oh, I'm uh, excited. <laughs> I have been trying to finish for like a week now. Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, and I'm about halfway through. 
Look, it's a beautifully shot movie. It's on HBO Max. Beautifully shot movie, but man, is it slow. Like, it's just unnecessarily so. I'm in a scene right now that's four minutes of a spaceship departing from, like, the hub spaceship and moving about 20 meters, and it's taking five minutes. But I I, I get it. It sounds like a movie that I would despise. Well, I get it. It's revolutionary cinema. I mean, some of the shots are unbelievable when you understand the context of the time. I mean, people walking on walls and it looks like the camera's not moving and they're they're all practical effects. It's no no CGI. Right. Um, I I think that goes to Kubrick's style as a filmmaker more than anything. And creativity as a filmmaker, but the plot is just so drawn out. But uh, yeah, Elvis the Searcher, I highly recommend it. That's what I was looking at this week. Very cool. Very cool. All right. With that, again, our thanks to Izzy for coming on. Follow us at HDPod on Instagram. Subscribe to us. Follow us. Like us. Whatever the heck it is on your podcast platform of choice, whether it be Spotify, Stitcher, uh, everywhere but SoundCloud will be there. Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts will be there too. Leave us a reading rating on Apple Podcasts. And Stitcher, I believe, allows you to leave ratings. It would be most helpful to get our podcast higher up in the views. So with that, my name is Nick Samarco, joined as always by my trusted co-host, Matt Lewis. We will talk to you guys next week.